We are concluding this series of sermons uh, that we've entitled Known, uh, based on, on Psalm uh, 139. And in case you have missed all of the sermons or hadn't been here for them, or imagine forgetting something that has been said in here, but I mean, you might, might, have, uh, might have let uh, some of the things uh, slip by that, that we've talked about. Or you, or you, we all need help in recalling things, or you might have missed a week or two. We're just going to rehash re, uh, a couple of the things that we discussed. You might remember that first week when we talked about that before that there was this notion of original sin, there was this thing that we, in our Methodist tradition, call original righteousness. That before uh, we were called sinners, uh, God said that you are created in my image and you are good. And uh, David in Psalm 139 puts it this way, that you are astoundingly and wonderfully made. And so to help you claim that fact of, of a God knowing us in this way, that we are astoundingly and wonderfully made, can you repeat that with me? Say, I am astoundingly and wonderfully made. Can you say that? I'm astoundingly and wonderfully made. Wow. I mean, that is the first claim that God makes on us, that you are created good. In fact, in, in Genesis 1, it says that you're created very, very good. And, and then uh, we, we said this, that no matter where you go, remember it, the, the psalmist talks about going all sorts of places in this created world. No matter where you go, you are hemmed in by grace. And we, we talk about this wonderful mo- notion that we have as, as United Methodists about provenient grace. There's this going before us grace. And we said that we're hemmed in by grace. So can you say that? I'm hemmed in by grace. I'm hemmed in by grace. That means we're surrounded by grace. Wherever we go, the highs, the lows, everywhere, we are hemmed in by by God's grace. And then we uh, talked about, you know, well, uh, I go here, I go there, I go up, I go down, I go to the farthest ends of the earth. And wherever we go, wherever we happen to be, but well, God says, I'm, I'm there with you. I'm here. And you might recall how we ended that. In fact, I got to do this at 11 o'clock service uh, two weeks ago. Remember, I walked out and I said, repeat this with me. Uh, God is here. I'm beloved. God is here. I'm beloved. You all remember that? Some of you all might be, have remained awake enough through the service to remember that. So can you, can you re- say that with me? God is here. I'm beloved. God is here. I'm beloved. Oh, Wow. And then last week we talked about going into the very depths of Sheol, the depths of, depths of death itself. And we, we, said, we said that, you know, even into that place of death and darkness, God is there. And we made this astounding claim that even darkness is light to God. So can we say that? Even darkness is light to God. Wow. I hope from this series, that you've received a bit of hope knowing that no matter where you are, where you go, what you find yourself getting into, God knows all about it. God's love is there with you. And you're ultimately known as being astounding and wonderful. I could say amen, go home, we can get, we can get out of here early and beat the Baptist to the steakhouse if it's open. But... Uh, there's one more thing that we, we need to say, and, that, and that's uh, talking about, well, the Scripture text for this morning. And 
Believe it or not, I left my Bible back there, but Sam's going to have the words on the screen for us, so I'm just going to read them off the screen. David concludes this great psalm this way. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my thoughts. See if there's any wicked way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Oh, it's so wonderful to hear that. You know, we spend one-third of our life asleep. One-third of our life that we spend resting. Now, I, I did a little research, and I was told that in that research that you can go three minutes without air. You can go three days without water. You can go, believe it or not, up to three months without food. But according to what I read, and I guess it's true, it's on the Internet, uh, uh, it said that you can only go 10 days without sleeping. So you could still not be eating, but if you don't sleep, you are going to die. And it, I read also that there's different types of sleep. And there's this deep sleep, there's this a light sleep, and there's a sleep that, well, causes us to dream. When I was running a lot, I bought this fancy watch. In fact, during early church, it started buzzing on me and it was telling me that I had a message. But it, this watch, I got to keep up with my mileage because I, I was running a whole lot. I wanted to keep up with my miles as in training. I wanted to brag a little bit to my friends how far I was going so I could share that off my watch with, with friends and fellow runners. But now that I've moved up here, my knees are bothering me a little bit. I don't use it for that anymore. It buzzes to tell me about sports updates and sometimes if I have a message. But it keeps up also with all sorts of things besides my, my running. It, it keeps up uh, with my heart rate. It keeps up with my steps. So if I really want to look impressive, I put my watch on a, rocket, on a rocking chair and I rock it back and forth. And I mean, I get all sorts of steps uh, doing that. I also, though, uh, see that it will keep up with the amount of time I sleep. It keeps up with my sleep. And believe it or not, a few days ago, I got eight whole hours of sleep. That, as my wife will tell you, that's not usually the case. But it said to me, you got eight hours of sleep, but you got only one hour and six minutes of REM sleep. REM sleep. Rapid eye movement sleep. And what this type of sleep is, is a sleep that causes our brain to rest. I mean, reg regular sleep, I mean, our bodies are resting. But when we're in REM sleep, our, our brains start to rest. And we have dreams. And our eyes start to move rapidly because our brains are starting to rest. And, and these dreams begin to happen. That's what scientists tell us. And we're told that if we wake somebody up during REM sleep, then they're not going to get the adequate rest that they need. If you're not getting REM sleep, your brain isn't resting because you see, well, we're not having dreams. And if we don't dream, well, we don't sleep that enough to dream. Our bodies start to, start to waste away. Kind of like a, something that we saw in the book of Proverbs, the 29th chapter, where it reads this, where there is no vision, where there are no dreams, people perish. If we don't have dreams, we don't have vision, we die. 
This is a proven fact. Viktor Frankl wrote a wonderful book called Man's Search for Meaning. Uh, if you haven't read it, I encourage you uh, to do so. But if you don't want to read it, I'll give you the punchline. And here it is. Frankl coming out of a, a concentration camp where he was imprisoned uh, by the Nazis saw that the people that lived through that horrible ordeal had this thing in common. They had dreams. They had vision. They didn't let the situation in which they found themselves in horror unimaginable keep them from having a dream about their future. That's the power of dreams, a vision that keeps us alive. Dreams have power, you know. It was said uh, 50 some odd years ago when Disney World was open, someone made this comment that it's too bad Walt Disney isn't here to see this. And the creative director for Walt Disney World, Mike Vance, said, oh, but he did. That's why it's here. Friends, that's the power of dreams. We got to celebrate the power of dreams that this congregation had. Over 20 years ago, it envisioned moving from a location that had been in for over 100 years down on King Street. And some of the leaders that helped dream that dream are right here with us or looking in online. And they said, we can move out uh, to a place that, where we can expand and grow. And, and these folks had true vision because what other church in America has 42 acres of mountainous ter territory behind it with a, with a beautiful stream flowing through it where there's a hiking trail that's an invitation to others to come. And God may be asking us, what vision do we have in the future to be able to use that gorgeous gift given to us by those who were visionary dreamers years ago to show Christ's love into this world. Who knows? That's something that we ought to think about as we move ahead as a church. Dreams. Dreams. Desires. God knows about our dreams. God knows about our desires. That's what, what David said. David said, test my dreams. Test my desires. Are they of you? And may they be uh, fulfilled. This makes us think of, of Psalm 37, verse 4, where uh, David in that psalm also says, grant my heart's desire. May you grant my heart's desire. But then he says this, my heart's desire will be granted as I seek after you and you alone. Grant my heart's desire. But that comes only when, only when, we seek God with all of our hearts. Now, how do, how do we do that? How, how do we seek God with all of our hearts? What, what, what is it that causes us to crave after God and seek after God so that our dreams are what God would have us to dream? Well, David again gives us a hint in another psalm, Psalm 63. He says, I thirst for you, O God, as someone who is in a dry and weary land. 
I thirst for you like I've been out in the desert. Have you ever been that thirsty? Have you ever uh, been that thirsty? Now, up here we have this nice climate all year round. Well, not right now. I mean, it's wintry. But in the summertime, I mean, it, it, in the summertime, I mean, it, it, it's so perfect. I mean, you can sit out on the porch and not crack a sweat. There's no mosquitoes or anything like that. Now, I've been in places, and you know this, that, I mean, you, you just step outside and you're sweating. And you're, you're, you get thirsty really, really quickly. But I know you all have been out to places, even in this beautiful climate, the summertime where you've been working the yard, clearing brush, and, and you get hot and thirsty, and you long to get inside to get that drink of water. Can you picture what I'm talking about? A couple weeks ago, I went out on a hike, and guess where my water bottle was? Back on the kitchen counter. I left it there. And I went on a five-mile hike uh, uh, through, through the beautiful uh, woods that are around here, and when I was done, I was... Gosh, I wanted a drink. I could not wait to get back home to get to that water bottle that I'd left on the kitchen counter. I blame it on Rosie Audrey. She, she did that. That's our dog. Um, she was thirsty too. Have you ever been that thirsty? David said, that's how I thirst for God. I desire God as much as someone that's crawling along in the desert or has been out in the heat working all day long without a drop of water. I thirst for you that much. And then later on in Psalm 63, he uses this interesting word picture. He said, I long for God and I desire God and I love to be around God as much as somebody who's sucking on the marrow of the bone and eating the fat dripping off the bone. Have you all ever seen a guy that really loves to eat his ribs? I mean, he starts to gnaw on those bones and he's pulling on them. I mean, he's getting every bit of the gristle off of it. And when he's done with the bones, there's nothing but a white bone there laying on the plate. You ever been around somebody like that? Yes. <laughs> I heard an amen from the choir. Yeah, we, we've seen that. That might even be us. If you get a good rack of ribs, I mean, you just can't. Stop eating on him. You're gnawing on the bone. Well, David says, I'm gnawing on the bone, desirous and hungry for God. Wow. Because, you see, that's how much I hunger for God. That's how much I desire God. And if we desire God that much, then God says, I will grant your heart's desires. The problem is this. We get ourselves filled up on things besides God. And that hunger for God is satiated by something else. I'm going to give you an example. If any of you App State students decide to take the road trip to go to Troy, Alabama to see App State whip up on Troy University, okay, and uh, you hear what I'm saying? Uh, when you all go down there, be sure to go down Highway 87 towards Elba, just outside of town to eat at Mossy Grove Old Schoolhouse. Oh my gosh, talk about good food. Everything's fried there. I mean, there's fried chicken, there's fried you know, country fried steak, there's fried catfish with collards and cheese grits. Oh, oh my gosh, it's almost lunchtime. Let's, let's say amen, I'm just going, going. No, yeah, oh, it's delicious. The problem with Mossy Grove is this. As soon as you sit down, there's going to be a waitress said, all right, hon, I'm, I'm going to bring you out some stuff. And she'll bring out a big bowl of white beans that's cooked in fat back. 
and some cornbread sticks that are crispy and delicious, and they're going to fill up your glass with something that could substitute for syrup. And, and they are going to repeatedly do this. I mean, you're, you eat the white beans, and they're going to bring you more, and you're going to be dipping uh, those corn sticks into the white beans, and they're f- drinking up all that iced tea. That You know what's going to happen? You get filled up on the white beans and the cornbread, and you don't have room for the catfish. And you all, you don't want to miss the catfish. It is delicious. You get what I'm saying. You probably have experienced this, though I doubt anyone in this room. Dale, have you been to Marshall Grove? Have you been a lot of other places in Alabama? You haven't been there? Okay. Uh, yeah, you get what I'm saying. But all of you all probably have had this happen when you were a kid. Mama's cooking up dinner, right, or supper. And uh, you're hungry. And you start to rattle around in the cookie jar or going in the cabinet to get some chips or some crackers, and you can hear what your mom is saying. Don't eat that. It's going to what? Ruin your supper. Right? How many of us have ruined our appetite for God by filling our souls and our spirits with other things? Good things, nothing wrong with cookies, right? Nothing wrong with uh, some good crackers, right? But if they take away our hunger for God, or take away our thirst from God, well, they're not so good then. You know, there's nothing wrong with being someone who has made money and saved money and, and put away uh, some to, to have for retirement. There's nothing wrong with that, but there are so many people, I've experienced this, they, that they've earned all the money they thought they could ever earn, and they're still not satisfied. You know, I joked a few weeks ago about taking cruises, you know, and, and going on vacations, all these wonderful spots. And again, there's nothing wrong with, with all those things, but if they keep us from, from being hungry for God, then these trips are, are idols. And there have been plenty of people that have chased after success with all their hearts. They, they've, they have achieved everything they'd want to achieve. And at the end of the day, the end of their career, and the applause fades, and the plaques are on the wall, and the trophies are on the shelf, it seems so hollow and shallow. Again, nothing wrong with traveling. Nothing wrong with success, and nothing wrong with loving our families, but if they keep us, all these things keep us from hungering for God, well, they become idols, and they keep us from desiring what God would have us truly desire. For my friends, as we see David saying, test my thoughts, know my thoughts, See if there's anything that causes anxiousness in them. Well, what are the things we grow anxious about? Our stuff, our reputation, our families, whether we've missed out on something in life. And those things, as good as they are, if they keep us from truly being hungry for God, and they're idols. 
and they keep us from having God desires and God dreams. And sometimes in life, these things, well, they may be taken from us. The stock market may crash. We, can, we get old. We can't travel any further. Our children, they move away. They've, they've grown up. They, we lose contact with them, and they go in a wayward direction, or they're no longer here with us. Can we still dream even when those things happen? I imagine if you uh, go to any Christian bookstore, you're going to see a plaque that says this from Jeremiah 29.10. I know the plans that I have for you, says the Lord our God. Plans to prosper you, not harm you. Plans to give you a hope and a future. Maybe you all have that hanging in your house. You may have, if you follow a Pinterest uh, with a Christian bent to it, that might be something that you've saved because, you know, we all like that, don't we? I mean, that, that says, oh yeah, God's going to prosper us and, and He's going to give us a hope for a future. But remember to whom Jeremiah is writing. Jeremiah is writing to exiles in Babylon. He's writing to the captives that are sent away prior to the total destruction of Jerusalem, but he's sending those that were the first wave of people who were taken away by the Babylonians. And they've seen horror, unimaginable. We, you, we heard our, Russian, our Ukrainian friends talk about and showing pictures of what the Russians have inflicted upon them. It was very similar to what the Babylonians did uh, to the Judeans. Came into the capital, ransacked everything. These exiles saw friends and loved ones being killed. They saw the temple being destroyed. And you, we don't understand how that rocked their world because, you see, they thought the only place that God resided was in that temple. And now Jeremiah is telling to them, even in exile, even in a place that you didn't want to be, God's there. And, and, and Jeremiah says later on in that chapter, he's saying, you know, you're going to hear people telling you, this is only going to be for a little bit. You're going to get to come back home to Jerusalem and to, to Judea. Jeremiah says, those are false prophets. He's saying to them, things ain't going to be the way they used to be. But the next verses after Jeremiah 29.10 say this, you will pray to God and God will answer you. Why? Because you're following me with all your hearts. Kind of sounds like what I quoted earlier from Psalm 37, doesn't it? Even in the place of exile, the very place these guys and gals did not want to be, God said, I will bless you. Settle down, plant crops, build homes, raise your kids, because I am there with you. And as you follow me with all your heart, I will bless you. There may be somebody here within the sound of my voice who has made the choices that the people of Judea made. Well, put other things above God, pursue other things other than God, or to give God lip service and then do whatever they thought they wanted to do, and, and you found yourself in a bad place. God still says to us, 
wherever you have found yourself, wherever you anxiously looking for things to be the same and they'll never be the same, God said, I'm there. Follow me with all your heart, and I'll bless you. You may be in a place right now where you've had a tragedy happen, and you're, you're worried about the future, you're anxious about it, and you're saying, where is God in all this? God says, seek after me with all your heart. And that through that, I will bless you. And there's so many in our country right now, and in, in our churches that are saying, you know, I, I wish things would be like they used to be. Well, they ain't going back the way they used to be. And we're scared and afraid of the unknown. For our churches, for our country, God said, seek me all your heart, and your dreams will be my dreams. This beautiful world that I have called you to love in my name. It's interesting. Master teacher Jesus says something very similar, doesn't he? There at the end, or near the end of the Sermon on the Mount, he said what? As the old King James says, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things shall be given to you. All that you need. Well, it's interesting, isn't it? When we desire God above all else, how our wants and our needs and our dreams change, we need a whole lot less, we see, because our needs aren't about ourselves anymore about bringing God's kingdom to the earth. And such dreams God honors. You know, we're in Black History Month right now, and we know our African-American friends have done much, it's great sacrifice to themselves to bring about God's dreams and God's visions here upon this earth in our nation. And so... I'll tell you a story about someone you may or may not have heard of. If, if you fly to Birmingham, Alabama, you will land in the Birmingham International Airport named the Birmingham Shuttlesworth International Airport. Name was changed in 2008. Named for Reverend Fred Shuttlesworth. Now, you may not have heard of Reverend Shuttlesworth. He was a key lieutenant for Dr. Martin Luther King. And Reverend Shuttlesworth in the city of Birmingham worked to bring about Dr. King's dream to reality, a dream, as Dr. King said, based upon the American dream. Reverend Shuttlesworth uh, peacefully protested and, and marched and pushed the boundaries of segregation, going against uh, Bull Connor, the, the segregationist police chief there in, in Birmingham. And there, Reverend Shuttlesworth, because of his trying to expand what it meant to live out the American dream, was arrested over 30 times. His church, the Mount Bethel Baptist Church, was bombed three times. On Christmas Eve, Reverend Shuttlesworth's home was bombed. And as he is crawling out of the rubble, a policeman who is allegedly a member of the Klan said this, 
if I was you, I'd get out of town. To which Shuttlesworth responded, I wasn't born to run. On September 9th, 1957, the day that President Eisenhower signed the executive order to end desegregation in public schools, and the same day that National Guard troops in Little Rock, Arkansas, are trying to have the integration of Central High School there in Little Rock, Reverend Shuttlesworth took his two children to go to Phillips High School to enroll them in that all-white school. He was met by a white mob who were armed with clubs and chains and brass knuckles, and they beat him and his children. As he was going into unconsciousness, he heard something say to him, don't die, I've got something for you to do. Later that day, when he was in the hospital recovering from the beatings that he endured at the hands of segregation, segregationist white folks, the reporter asked him, what are you trying to do? What's your dream? That I dream for a day that that white person that beat my family and me with chains and sit across the table from me as a friend. My friends, that is a dream worthy of the love of God. May our dreams be such dreams, free from all selfishness and fear, where we help usher in God's kingdom of love and peace for all the world. May that be so in your dreams, my dreams, and the dreams of this church. Such dreams God's going to honor. And our heart's desire has become God's desire. And God will bless us to bless this world. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen.